Hello and welcome back to another episode of Let's Drone Out. Tonight, you are joined by everyone's favourite curry kitten. Hello. Our guest for tonight, Tommy. Oh my God. You need Hola. to say. Oh, I'm supposed to say something. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. have said something in Spanish, but <laughs> what's up? Yeah, no, it helps because uh, obviously it goes on to iTunes and everyone who just listens to it, just audio, need to know who's talking. Uh, I keep, yeah, uh, you're forgetting about that. That's all right, man. Uh, my little wife. <laughs> Why do I have to answer to that? Bonjour. <laughs> you don't have to. You can tell me to <laughs> <off>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes. Hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> and our Lord and Master, Andrew Seth Frank. Hello. And I'm Bright Until I Fly. Hello. Good evening. <clears throat> Welcome all. Tommy, the hot topic I need to know, the reason why I've invited you on is, did your desk dry? So you, you, <laughs> if, as, if you were watching this live on YouTube on 8pm, uh, you'd see that Tommy has got like a lovely studio behind him. Um, that's what he's kind of like blown all his right money on. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> no, it's, it's been, I mean, like it's, it's dry. It's technically dry. Like I could, you know, it's just, it doesn't have the durability that was promised to me when I did hours and hours of research on epoxy. And uh, so it's dry. It's just one of those things where, like, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, I put these little foam pads because if I set something on there that's heavy enough and leave it there long enough, it'll it'll indent its way in. It's really weird. But if you touch it right now, like, it's it's fine. It's just, uh, you know, I don't know. When I, when I put it out on YouTube and asked for comments, they're like, oh, maybe the mixture wasn't right. Maybe the temperature wasn't right. There's a whole list of things that uh, it could be, but – it's it's now how many months later and <laughs> nothing's changed it still looks pretty uh, it does look pretty yeah it looks yeah. really pretty uh but it's it's starting to get to the point where i'm like you know i had a buddy come over here we were working on something and he started he just set something up like, wait, wait 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 hold on we gotta we gotta put this math and and, and <laughs> like and <laughs> So like, bro, I thought this is a workbench. And I was like, it is, but it's a nice one that didn't cure properly. So now we got to take care of it. <laughs> so, so, like, my only advice to you is I, I done a bit of, like, resin casting for my, my final right. degree, yeah. which means I know shit. But if I, if I was you, I'd go see someone who does, like, you know, fiberglassing of, of boats or something to get some sort of hardener. Because with with resin, um, like if it's a certain amount of, if it's a thick uh, amount of resin, you reduce the amount of hardener because it can, you know, that it's yeah. an exothermic reaction, gets yeah. hot, it warps stuff out of place, and or be on fire. But um, it sounds to me like there wasn't enough hardener in there, and I'm wondering. It was it was a it was a one to one ratio, right? So mm -hmm. like, I followed the directions to the T. It was like, all right, you you pour this one first, and then you pour the other whole. Like I didn't portion it out. It was like, yeah, use the whole thing, and I mixed it up the way they said I should mix it up, and I waited the amount of time. The only thing I didn't do was take a thermometer to it because I was like, well, <laughs> I don't really have a thermometer to stick in there to yeah. see. If the 98 degrees that it needed to be before I started pouring it. But they, everything else said, but if you just wait six minutes of just stirring, pour it into another bucket, do another six minutes of stirring after then should be good to go. So I don't I, know. I reckon it's a too big of a desk and it's too thin of a coat. Mm. And I reckon if you were to use the poly, polyurethane? yeah, the polyurethane, the one with the concentrated hardener, like because you could then add more to it 
I don't believe in the 50-50s. I, I looked into the polyurethane because I was I was ready to pour another coat on this. And I looked into the polyurethane, but like when I looked at all the pictures of those drying up, like it had like some really like well, it's not bad. It's bad to me because I want to like smooth this glass like this. But it had a lot of like uh most of the stuff I was looking, seeing had like an orange peel texture to it. So that's uh, so why I was kind of shying away from re-pouring with uh, with the polyurethane. I don't know if you know anything yeah. more about it, but yeah, that's that's too much heat, I think, or or too much catalyst. So I believe, but you can get water glass. I'm so sorry. Five minutes of pure. Let's try and fix Tommy's desk. Well, I, I, was to, I was trying to segue into uh, the 50 50 and try to say fitty. <laughs> Too fitty. Too yeah, fitty. How's oh, that going? Really, really well. I, um, I honestly wasn't sure what to expect out of that. It was really more just to kind of set the tone and kind of set a pace for what is as at least as of right now inevitably coming over at least to us here in the united states which is that whole 250 gram deal and uh it's been really well it's it's i've been having a hard time keeping it in stock uh the one thing i will say though that i'm i'm kind of actually happy about is that nobody or not actually nobody not a whole lot of people are building it to the 250 gram spec that i had you know based that entire project around so most people are actually running a bigger battery. They're throwing naked GoPros, or some people are putting full-on GoPros on there, and it's doing pretty well. Um, but I did do all my testing and design it like right around that 300 gram mark. Like that's personally what I like to fight with. It just feels better at that weight. Um, but you know, again, the whole thing is just to kind of start getting the ball rolling towards this imminent future that we have of a. Uh, of this requirement or, or ceiling or cap or whatever have you. So is yeah. this part of the reason why you acquired new premises or is uh, that something else? Are you able to talk about that? No, absolutely. I'm, I'm actually really stoked because like I, I never thought that day would come. <laughs> so yeah, no, you know, like the whole, the brand and the Omegad company really Thanks, for Rachel. the longest time was just this, garage and then my buddy ryan's garage so over here is where everything would get built and obviously all like the marketing and just like shooting videos and and the testing because i got my little park across the street but then like all of the r d you know cutting out prototypes and and printing things and all that would happen at my buddy ryan's house and uh for the longest time fulfillment was out of there also right so when you're starting out small just like anything else you're just like eh I just do it out of the garage. I don't need to park my car in the garage and we do it that way. And then like slowly that turned into more of a full-time deal. And then for Ryan, that turned into hiring child labor <laughs> to, to, to do some packing. Right. Um, you know, and, and then that started spilling from the garage into the living room and then the living room into the kitchen, the kitchen started becoming a pack, you know, and this this huge domino effect. Yeah. And sometime, you know, last year, a year and a half ago, we decided like, all right, let's just, we're at a point where this is just becoming too much because now we can't pack and fulfill orders and ask to answer customer service emails and do all the other things that we're doing. So then we hired a third party fulfillment and we had some growing pains there because they just know how to pick, pack and ship things. However, sometimes they don't necessarily, you know, especially in our industry, sometimes you kind of got to know the difference between a Cadex Ant Cam versus a Cadex Vista, right? <laughs> those are yeah. those are two very different priced items. And for like the longest times, you know, like those mistakes were happening. And thank goodness most of our customers are honest enough to say, hey, I ordered an Ant Cam, right? An $18 camera, but I got this Cadex Vista that's worth $150. And uh, I mean, things got better. But eventually what happened is that like we started outgrowing that and, you know, they were saying like, well, you're, you're taking up way more space than our original contract. You've exceeded the number of orders that we're supposed to be doing. So they want to renegotiate contracts and all of that stuff. And Ryan and I decided like, you know what, let's just take that next big leap. Let's just, let's just get our own spot. And so that's what we've been doing for like the last two months and why I've been just kind of social media dark. Well, I've also been doing a lot of like filming work, but it was yeah. just 
every day that I was free, we would go out and start visiting, you know, office spaces and uh, warehouses to see what would fit the bill. But uh, I'm so blessed and fortunate that we've, we've, we finally found something. We started moving in last week and the goal is to do everything in-house now, right? Because that was one of the things that, I mean, I'm sure you guys are familiar, but that's one of the things that's been um, a problem is, you know, we, first of all, it's a huge deal and undertaking to just find a good manufacturer, right? There's just so many things that can happen. And if you follow my story with the remix, like it, it's everything from a clone copy of your stuff getting leaked out to not getting things for X, Y, Z reasons. And, and that's something that I wanted to really fix. And the answer to that was to take it all in house. So that's, that's uh, what we're pivoting towards is, just doing everything in-house and, and being able to say that not only do we design it out here in the United States, but we also now manufacture it and kind of, I don't want to say give, you know, out overseas manufacturing a run for their money, but I just want to be able to start saying, Hey, look, man, we're, we're, we're just doing everything in-house and we're that much closer to QC. And I just want to continue to deliver like a really good product worthy of putting that I'm a God stamp on it. Yeah. Uh. Um, we just got to read the disclaimer. Uh, here at Electro and Out, we do not endorse child labor. Curry, read the disclaimer. <laughs> Any views? Or... I mean, you know, we feed them. You know, we let them take yeah. breaks. It's it's all good. Quick, quick, Curry. <laughs> yeah, we don't endorse. Well, I've got a daughter. I try and make her do stuff for free. It doesn't work. You have to give them pizza and chocolate and all sorts. <laughs> Yeah. As well. So, w- would you say that? Um, I mean, I think it's quite exciting that you're moving towards manufacturing because I think there's a whole customer base that does appreciate that it's going to be made in the US and wants to support that sort of business instead of going overseas where it might be cheaper. But do you think the biggest hassle in all of this is the logistics? Is it literally getting the stuff and shipping it to people and the hassle of that, or is it? They, they've on? got priority mail though. They can literally load those little boxes up with so much. They don't do anything by weight. They're loving it. He's loving life yeah. right now. Yeah, two fifty. I, I haven't found I haven't found the the fulfillment side of things to be a problem. I, it was when it was us, and it started to get just intense, and which is why we hired hired a third party, uh, you know, service to handle that for us. But what's been absolutely killing us lately is supply and demand. So we our supply you know our demand keeps increasing but the lead times on supply keeps increasing and you know we just kind of got our hands tied behind our backs and people are emailing us every day i'm like hey we ordered this however long ago and when is it going to ship and we're doing it first in first out but you know when then we hit up the manufacturer and they're like oh xyz happened and now we're adding another 2 to 3 weeks to the lead time like it just you know, it kills us. And now we have to go back on our word to the customer and be like, Hey, I know we told you two weeks last time, uh, but now this is happening. And I, you know, to me, it's just, it's just worth trying to figure out how to manufacture all in-house, which, which I'm confident we could do because it's really just a change of workflow and settings. Cause we have CNC's um, and printers, but they're all set up for rapid prototyping and just being able to bang out, you know, a prototype. So we just need to change things up a little bit so that it's instead of banging something out really fast, it's 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 cutting out a whole batch of things all at once. That's cool. Throughput instead of lead time, always fun times. But at least you you know that's a good problem to have. But if yeah. the problem is how quickly can we make this thing because people want to buy it? That's a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. You know. And it's it's just always. You know, and I don't, I'm not going to name any manufacturers, but like it, it's also been a problem where we tried to solve it by going finding another manufacturer, and then we just find out that the quality isn't there. You know, and so for instance, you know, with the 250 specifically, we had a batch. You know, when the manufacturer came back and said, "Hey, sorry, things are going to increase," we just scrambled to go find another one. And when we got the act, you know, we got the samples. The samples look good. It's the classic bait and switch. Then we get the- <laughs> right? We get the production and we are putting it together and like, why is there so much slop? You know, like everything's just so loose. 
And it, we found out it's because the carbon that they were using was just massively undersized, like way more undersized than what you're typically used to in variances, right? Hmm. Normally, it's like between 0.05 to 0.1 millimeter difference. But from this specific company, it was up to like 0.2, 0.15. And when you have a design where you're using tabs and slots, that becomes super important. And so, you know, that that messed us up because we got that and there's a whole production and we went back to them like, Hey, this, this is, this is not what it was. And unfortunately they didn't really want to do anything about it, not even give us credit. So that's like something that we just had to eat. And that was at least for me, the line, you know, I was drawing the line there. I was like, we can't, we can't deal with this anymore. We just need to take everything to ourselves and figure it out, you know, to, to again, ensure QC because that's, that's a, a big monetary expense that we're not, or mistake that we uh, we can't get back, and uh, you know, just kind of lesson learned, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean the 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 difference the different varieties of carbon fiber are like huge. I mean, even like the, I mean, it's kind of assumed because all you see in quads is that it all comes with like a nice glossy, like smooth flat finish, and like right. that's that's actually quite a specific type of carbon fiber finish. That if you just go to a place that makes carbon fiber and say, "I want a sheet of carbon fiber," you'll just have something that's like bumpy and weavy and just like a bit of fabric with some plastic smushed in. Like oh, one hundred percent. If you were to go up to a, a carbon fiber. I'll just call it manufacturer, press, whatever you do. Like, and you say you want something, you know, most other, if you're not educated enough, you know, they'll just kind of give you what is kind of standard or typical. But really, if you're in the know, they'll have a whole page of questions for you. Like, all right, like, what's the weave type? You know, what's the crosshatch pattern? Uh, you know, it should it be quasi-acetropic or, you know, and then if you don't know that, then they'll ask you a question differently. Well, in what direction do you need this carbon fiber to be strong, right? Mm-hmm. And that all comes down into the weave, you know. So I, I, most most carbon fiber that I, I think most drone manufacturers use is quasi-acetropic, which just means it's strong in, in the 90 degree, right? So it's strong this way and it's strong that way. Some people are starting to experiment with even the 45 now so it's strong this way this way and this way uh but there's a trade-off right because you're still you're you're trading off fiber weaves in one direction for another so what that means is it's stronger here now but it's also less strong in this direction in this direction and uh, these are all like the you know my buddy ryan can talk about this all day because he he used to be a material composites engineer which is why i defended because i'd be like hey you but uh, it's not what you know. It's who you it, know. It gets it gets really interesting. We could absolutely geek out to it, but you know, I th- I think most people should understand that not not all carbon fiber is created equal. Like even what you see on the outside, that could just be the outer layers, and then what's sandwiched in between could be something completely different. Can you mm-hmm. spell quasi? <laughs> Can you spell quasi as a trick? Can you say it, Jack? Yeah, call it's Tony. Tony. <laughs> I, I just can't. It. Uh, can you do it? What, no. What is it? Quas quasi I isotropic I S O T R O O P I C quasi isotropic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Never knew that. <laughs> Something new I've learned today. Yeah, this is why I like I I try to avoid because then I'm going to sound like a super nerd and geek and all that. <laughs> That's why we're here. That's why we have you on. <laughs> we learn stuff. You know, now now you're not doing like the, the, the segments on like how to buy your ESCs or make your own uh fat chart battery out of eighteen six fifties. Like, you know. We need we, we need this knowledge. You've been social media. I've been keeping my like BDI on you, and I've stopped doing the one to ones. I was like, man, I must catch up with you because like you start you had like a little tour of the the space that you had, and I was like, man, he must be planning something real big. It's like I was like, he can't have had enough of drones to start opening a meth lab because <laughs> you know, that is like a perfect meth lab size. Not that I would know, but you know, yeah, it's not- serious space. I mean, I, I, yeah, you know, I mean, we, we, we did the math and, you know, it starts with just 
obviously us and increasing the QC that we got for us, but like the space is big enough to where I absolutely have plans to, and would love to, uh, you know, provide services for other, you know, drone manif- or drone producers or, or people trying to make frames and things like that. Cause I remember when I first came out, it was, you know, the options was slim and you just kind of had to figure out if you wanted to make your own frame, you know, and, and I, I can absolutely be close to that because like, when I wanted to make my own frame, it wasn't to, to sell it. It was just, I just wanted my own frame. Like I, you know, I, I knew what I wanted after a couple of years of building these things and flying it. And it just so happened that other people wanted to, to, to buy it. And so I can't help but feel like there's other people out there in similar boats or, or maybe even farther along that process. And they do want to sell things, but they haven't figured out how to pick, pack and ship. They don't, haven't figured out the customer service or the whatever, like my, my goal is to help out the guys that, that want to march on a similar path and kind of learn from my mistakes, so to speak. That's cool. You're, you're an asset to the hobby, man. You really are. I don't know whether you feel like it most days, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> nah, I didn't nah. think you would. Um, I'm just annoyed that you can't get armor grip from uh, Inbox RC forever. I can't I, I feel like I hassle him way too much so much <laughs> so when I get out of isolation I need to like send him a package of like nice things to be like I'm so sorry about me <laughs> like I've yeah, just been uh, constantly sending packages to people Jack aren't you apologizing yeah I know it's not too bad <laughs> I, I sent one to uh old fruity bear recently he, he was he was out in the in the countryside. If you're listening to this, fruity bear. Just looking um, back through the chat, uh, Grumpy FPV was asking if you'll be getting any US UK suppliers to stock your frames. We we yeah. have there uh, is some yeah I man tech shop, but they're out apparently. Uh, yeah. yeah, we've been like slowly picking out. Um, some shops overseas that, you know, we think would be a good representative. Um, I can't name them off the top of my head. Uh, Unmanned is definitely one of them. Um, but we are, we're also, there's this, this guy named Mike McCutcheon who lives out in the UK and he reached out to us a while back because during the pandemic, you know, lost his job and things like that, not to get up in this business, but he offered to kind of warehouse some of our stuff and, and things like that. So, him, in addition to finding some other people, like we're definitely trying to figure out how to get products out there. Even if, if, if he takes on manufacturing, that could be like another way to be cost effective. Also, while because I trust him to to be able to do real, like good cuts and, and keep the QC. So uh, that 100%. I, I think we're always trying to trying to do that. Um, I think it's just a matter of finding the right people to, to link up with. Have you got any um, got any more quads in your mind that might might turn into real stuff oh my gosh yes i it's just a matter of figuring out what i'm gonna focus on <laughs> um so that I, I would say the next there's two things that i oh should i talk about it though <laughs> <laughs> like little hair i don't know like, don't uh, you know, like whatever it's up to you you don't have to I don't care. I, you know, if this was like a year ago, I'd probably be all secretive about it. But, you know, the people that are going to copy it or clone it, are they're going to do it no matter what. And uh, and if someone's going to do it better than me, then whatever. I think that's just all part of innovation and, and, and things like that. So, so screw it. I'll talk about it. Um, At least this is a recording event to prove that you've come up with it first. I <laughs> got you. What is it, um, three and a half inch, did you say? Yeah, you know, I've... I really so so I always drive my product stuff from two ways. It's either whatever I'm into at the moment or what I need. Uh, and then the second thing is is I, I feel like we're at a place where I could really listen to what you know people out there want, right? People that you know follow the brand and are like, yo, we'd really want XYZ. Uh, and so one of those things that just continually come up is three and a half inch. And I believe this is, you know becoming more popular from folks like Chris Rosser, Ciotti, uh, and and then I think it's also being driven by the fact that we all know that this whole 250 gram thing is kind of coming. And the desire 
for something that feels like your typical five inch freestyle quad. And so Rosser and a couple of other guys kind of did the math and figured out that three and a half inches, that proper prop surface disc area to weight ratio. And so uh, I, that's, that's what we're working on next. Uh, we're, I was chatting with um, Ciotti and this is something that like, I, I don't have, I, I don't fly a three and a half inch. I haven't. Um, and so this is something where, when I don't have that enough experience to feel comfortable just calling out, you know, what the design requirements are, this is when I reach out to other people who are in it, who've been it in, in it long enough to know what is desirable and what's not. And so I've been working with Ciotti on a, on a power setup. We're going to have a, a whole new power setup for a three and a half inch, as well as just a, not a far departure from what you're used to seeing, but a three and a half inch frame design built around that entire project idea. This episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. Do you still fly um, Emerging RC stuff or you you done or you moved on to your own frames? So so sp- are you just talking about frames specifically? Yeah, the Vorta. Are you, are you like done with that? Are you because like I haven't seen them release anything else or Yeah, I haven't I haven't flown a an IRC frame frame in a long time. I and I and I most of that is just the whole, you know, what's, what's out there and what's new. And a lot of that has to do with just me of always wanting to see what's new and what's out there in addition to like what, what I'm doing, which right now is just a lot of the whole Cinelift stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but no, I, ha- I haven't flown any, although I still have all that stuff here because all of that stuff is near and dear to me. <laughs> my, uh, my Mountain what? Dew quad, I don't know. Can you see it? It's yeah. Uh, wait, wait. They explain, uh, for the audio listeners. <laughs> like a huge, like what? Holy two crap. meter, three meter sort of wide yeah. board. Just, f- no. and it's, it's all very nice matte black with a load of like side lighting. It looks very, very pretty. It looks yeah. like a bar more than a work surface, Tommy. You know, I, what's crazy is that's literally just like a third of, uh, of my collection now. We <laughs> built all of this. I, figured out that I needed to kind of prune out <laughs> my collection. So like the other two thirds is um, I think my buddy wants to do some type of like raffle, like giveaway deal. And then the rest of it's going to go to the new spot for mm. decoration. Nice. So how many of these do you like still fly? Like, is it just two of them you fly and the rest are all there for show or like? Yeah. So everything now back there is because they are like sentimental to me, right? Mm, so I, I can yeah. tell you a story about almost every single one of these. Everything on that wall is everything that I use, whether it's just for when I have a moment to fly for fun or if it's for like FPV shoot shoots and jobs and gigs and commercial and entertainment work. Mm. Yeah, I watch your Insta stories and you're just constantly doing stuff. looks really interesting. Is there any stuff you can talk yeah. about, the heavy lifts, any stuff? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I could talk about, I mean, whatever. I, I, I think what will help me is if you ask me a question. Cause like one What's of the-, the biggest quad you've <laughs> used or that you have there? Uh, so, the well, the biggest quads that I've flown isn't here. It would be, um, and it would be basically an X8 9-inch carrying a red Komodo with like a big 5,100 milliamp battery with full-on Cinegear, right? And and so so most people, for, for, for people that don't know, like you, it's not that you just fly the Komodo. I mean, you can, right? Because like right now, FPV drones in that world is so new that it's not up to spec, so to speak, when we're talking about like a, like a proper production workflow. And um, you just let me know if I'm getting way too deep on this, but basically yeah, what, that means, 
what that means is that, you know, in a proper production, you've got a camera that can transmit back in full HD in real time to what's called VTR or a video transmission relay department. And what their job is to then take your camera's feed or really everybody's cameras, you know, and depending on the production, there could be a lot or there could be one. Uh, but their job is to take that feed and then feed it out to everybody else who needs to be able to see this feed. And these people can be anyone from the director and the DP, which is the obvious one, to the end client, to, you know, somebody who's trying to DP this thing overseas. Uh, it could be a director with a, a mobile monitor just watching it, you know, as or, as he's walking around. It could be whatever. Another guy who's on the other side of the world looking at things from a phone. It's, it's actually quite fascinating how, <laughs> how that all works. And so you have to carry all this gear to in order for that to work. And, you know, as all of you guys know, like when you're building out a quad, like RF is always a big deal. And for a five inch freestyle GoPro, it's pretty easy. You got five, eight on video, and then you've got your control that's either on two, four or 900 if you're running crossfire. However, if you're running these cine cameras and things like that, like that is now slowly starting to become, you know, if you don't have it, you're kind of falling behind in terms of the FPV cine lifter world. And so I run all this stuff and that just, it's like a five pound payload it's, it's a lot of gear. And then you got to figure out which of these transmitters plays nice with everything because, you know, all of the stuff that is in like the 2.2 gigahertz range, we have to have a license out here. And it's like, it's, it's this rabbit hole you don't want to go through. So you got to really sit there and figure out like which of these 5.8 transmitters will play nice with DJI, which will play nice with the crowd. Like, oh, it's, it's this song and dance and guess and tests. And uh, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of money in the air that, uh, mm. you know, you, you get a yeah, little about. <laughs> is there, is there a fear factor or at least the very first time that you flew with a Komodo? Cause that's a lot of, that's a lot of money to be slinging around the, the way you might do on a GoPro. Certainly the first time must've been a bit sort of butt clenching, but how, is it, is it got better? Oh, how is it now? 100%. I mean, like we all know all of the things that can go wrong, you know, when you, when you put up a quad, even if you've flown the quad hundreds of times before, all it takes is for somebody else to plug in and then you're down. Right. And your, your first re response to that is probably like, well, who else is flying with you? The answer to that is nobody. However, when you're on set, you know, they got Teradex, they got Microlyze, and these are all basically VTXs that production uses to transmit cameras on the ground. And a Teradex will take you down, a Microlyte will take you down. Basically, all of the main popular VTXs that production uses to do their transmission will freeze up your video. And so, yeah, I, I still don't, um, I still am not comfortable until I've got at least two flights in on set and I know that everybody is like on board about, hey, drone is going up, we need to shut everything down and things like that. <laughs> it's always a butt-clenching moment until probably the third or fourth battery up. And uh, it's something that I still haven't gotten used to. But, it, but it's only because of that. Like flying that though, like I've gotten over that like a while back. Like when you've done... Just like anything else, you know, like the first time you fly FPV, I'm sure everyone's like, oh my, oh my God, oh my God, this thing is flying. I got to keep it up in the air. Um, you know, there was, a, there was definitely a little bit of that the first couple of months, but after a while you get, you get used to it just like anything else. So you fly in DJI stuff on, on set. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It is, it is by far, in my opinion, the only way to go when you're, when you're doing these types of jobs, yeah. like, cause like, here's the thing, right? Like, and I have nothing against analog. I still like analog. I still fly analog because some of my quads are on analog. However, there are a lot of situations where I just know analog would fail miserably. And now I can't do the job that somebody hired me to do. Mm. Like, for instance, I just did this car piece and they wanted to do this in a container shipyard. And so for anyone out there that yeah. knows, that is... That is multi-pathing nightmare. Uh, but DJI, like I, I was going like 20 container ships thick, no problem, you know? Yeah. Um, 
in fact, this last thing that I was on, we were in, in, in the culvert, which for people that don't know what the culvert is, it's basically a man-made river for excess water overflow. And I was chasing a car in through there. And like, I'm literally going around a bend where that's just a no-no. But hey, man, DJ, has, <laughs> DJ let me keep going. I'm just like, okay, wow. It's just It keeps impressing me more and more the more I push its uh, its limits and performance. So when when do you do actually uh, like pick up the, the, your analog quads? Like what drives you to pick those up still? Like why don't you just, just leave them there? It's like, ah. Oh. Honestly, it's just when I when I have this itch to fly something older that I haven't flown in a while. Like it's very it's it's common where especially when I'm doing a gig and it's not like the big red Komodo Cinelectric camera stuff where I'm flying a GoPro and then I have extra batteries, you know. And even though on set, like you'll you know you'll it's very common to just fly a couple of batteries, which means I come home with a lot of charged batteries. And you know I still got the whole old school mentality. I can't just come home with charged batteries so i'll i'll burn them through whatever and then i'll just go back there and i'll be like huh what haven't i not flown today and i'll i'll fly that and just kill all my batteries that way and if it happens to be an analog quad then i throw the fat sharks on and we do it that way yeah, but I don't, I don't do the whole analog to like dgi conversion like if i'm gonna fly analog i'm gonna go pick up my hdos and and do it mm, same as me mm. Mm. So you haven't exclusively moved over to digital yet? I mean, it just depends on like what your de- definition of it is, right? So like I, I, I can tell you that any drone that I build moving forward will, will be on DJI. But that's not to say that I wouldn't, I'm not going to not fly analog just, mm. because, just because. So, yeah. When you're on set, like, how much of your flying on set is like very scripted? Like you have to hit this point and this point and this point, and you just have to repeat that all day. Or how much of it? How much do you get to kind of riff a bit? Uh, so that the, I'm glad you asked that question because I've been wanting to make a video to talk about what it's like to do this, and I, I feel like I've been doing this long enough to not know what info to put out. So I'm really glad that you're asking me this. And anybody else that's listening, feel free to ask me questions because this will help me figure out the next video that I want to make. But to answer your question, it really depends on what the shoot is. Um, most of the time, the director, the DP, they they have an idea of what they want you to do. And in my personal experience, this is more true when you're doing like car commercial stuff because they just have this set thing on what they want to do. However, other things like music videos, movies, and some specific car commercials, they they are actually looking towards you as far as like, what do you think is a, is a cool creative shot? And those are the ones that I, I love because then it's like, I can really showcase what FPV is capable of. Because like a, a lot of, t- I don't know how it is out there, but over here in the United States, FPV is still kind of new. It's starting to gain a lot of popularity. But what I'm finding is that sometimes, uh, you know, people are asking for FPV because it's a buzzword and every director DP production wants to be on the bleeding edge, not fully realizing what FPV is. And, and the most frustrating thing for me is when they're like, yeah, we're going to do this and that. We're in a pre-production meeting and I'm explaining to them like, okay, look, this is what an FPV drone can and cannot do. Basically yeah. the difference between an Inspire, you know, or an Alta carrying a gimbal drone versus FPV. And they're like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I show up to set and they're like, all right, and now can you do this top down, looking down, hold it there. And then <laughs> <pull up and laughs> what I told you we cannot do. Yeah. You know, um, but it's it's getting it's getting a lot better because a lot FPV is getting used a lot more, and um, I think more and more DPs and directors are are starting to lean more towards a pilot about what it is that shot is right. So like for a car thing, for me it's like okay, this is where the car is going to be coming from, and then I'll just take a look at the environment, and then I'll ask them like, well, what's the story that you're trying to tell, like. Because if this is an opening shot, then maybe what I'm going to, you know, suggest to you is that I have more of like a reveal, right? 
you know, maybe I'm flying through trees, maybe I'm diving down a building, you know, just a couple of beats to kind of set up the feel and the scene before we reveal the car. But if they have something a lot more planned where they know that they just need these couple of moments, then, uh, you know, they'll either tell me that or they'll just, then I'll riff on it and I'm like, all right, just send the car and then I'll just keep freestyling it. And from there, they'll figure out what they want. But, you know, of, of everything that I've done so far, like, Music videos, believe it or not, are the funnest because they give me a lot of creative freedom and uh, and movies, especially with movies that have to do with stunts. That's like what I've been working on recently, where like I have a lot of control over what's going on, which has been really fun and satisfying. That sounds awesome. That's pretty cool. I wouldn't have thought that you'd get much freedom when someone's doing stunt work because like that feels like someone's putting their body on the line like you better get get this right <laughs> you can't yeah. keep doing multiple takes of that no i mean and and there's i mean you know there's there's obviously uh a balance right because we we want to we want to keep the stunt people safe but at the same time you know if i offer up a shot and and they're like oh my god that would be absolutely amazing they'll make the adjustment you know, and uh, I, I think when you do it that way, that's really the best way that you can make use of like a proper FPV setup. Because if you if you think about it, like the like an Inspire or a Gimbal drone, and, and like not to take anything away from them because those are really powerful tools as well. But it's for a very specific cinematic look, mm-hmm. um, right? And when you're talking about FPV, I can get down and dirty, like this close to people, and like go with the cars jumping and things exploding and you know I don't have sensors holding me back and so what what I found is like hey I could do this if you guys can make this change to the timing if we move this out of the way like the, there's a lot more input from from me as a pilot uh, on these types of sets which again like it's just really satisfying to be able to sit there and be like hey I got this crazy idea but we got to do X, Y, and Z. Then we all have a little group huddle that decided to work time, and then we make it happen. Yes, that's really that's cool. cool. Yeah. Has anybody ever come up with unrealistic expectations? Like, do they say things, could you just fly under the moving cars and then mm-hmm. pop up and do something else? Oh, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Um, but here's the thing, though. Like, I'm, I'm about it. So... You know, if if they if that request comes up, if I haven't already suggested it, like we 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 talk about how we would make that happen, you know. So, um, if the car is tall enough for us to do it, we'll go after it. Um, but like more requests like that, that is a little bit harder to do, is when they're like, "Can you get like this close to the talent and then shoot up to the moon and then fly back down and now land on the like." crazy things like that that those are the conversations that are a little bit harder to do and it, it just has more to do with not understanding how the drone moves you know because i have we i have things where that it's got prop guards on it so it makes it really safe around talent but there's some things that are just like it's probably not going to work out and it's probably not worth the effort <laughs> let's just you know, that's when you say, how about we try something like this, right? Because you never want to tell a director or DP no. You always want to <laughs> have an alternative. You'll be like, hey, I, we can get a version of this that's that's safer and uh, will save us a lot of time. That's a, that's a big thing. So anybody out there that's talking to DPs and directors, if you can explain a version that will save time and is a, is a safer shot, safer in terms of like we'll nail it, not safer in terms of safer people being honest like if you you know okay i shouldn't say that like it, of course everybody wants to be safe but like the biggest thing on set is time like people don't have time and um you know for anybody that wants to get into it like the one thing that i will say is that like you it's it's not enough to just be able to to fly you have to be able to do exactly what is needed absolutely cold like i wake up i've been waking up at like 4 30 a.m every single day drive an hour and a half to set get there and by like seven first shot of the day and it's the most complicated shot no warm-up time no no rehearsal because you only get one or two shots at things because again everything's on time like you just got to be able to nail it and and in my opinion that is that is what's going to make you know a professional pilot 
you know, who will last in the industry versus someone who can't do that. Like that is, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, cause I, I was like that for a while. Like I couldn't, you know, that's why when you race, you have practice seats and you get used to things and, and all of that. You don't get that on set. <laughs> you get pressure. You get one big they can't just reset it, but do you get any like dry run without anybody doing it? Just, just so you can go over how you're going to do it or show them the sort of shot you're talking about, or yeah. is it just, let's do it cold. You no, you, you do, but you don't get that luxury all the time. So like, for instance, like if, especially with something where they got to do what's called an ITC, which I don't even know what that stands for, but it basically means stopping traffic, right? So if you're shooting something in the city and you've got traffic, they have to stop traffic in order for you to do your shot legally obviously. Uh, and when you do that, you can only stop traffic for one or two minutes at a time. And every single time that happens, like it costs them money to do it. So you'll only get one or two shots at it. And if that's the case, most oftentimes they're not going to stop traffic just for you to get a run. If the production and the budget's big enough, sure. They'll, they'll say yes to it, but it's not always the case. Sometimes you, you go somewhere and you're doing something and you do have the luxury of saying, can I just go for a test run and get my bearings? That happens, but it's not, it's absolutely not something where you can sit there and be like, let me just get like five warm up packs. Why don't you guys run through the action really quick, you know, and then we'll roll on it. Like that's a very, very rare case. The only exception to that is something like, like with what Johnny's done with the, with the Taycan, where the whole thing is this orchestrated piece and the whole story that you're telling is the drone and this car in that sense then yeah you're running it you're rehearsing it as many times over and over, yeah. you get the shot that you want but most of the time on these productions the drone is is you know it's not the thing it's just another perspective and this is why they have multiple camera angles they're just you know they're trying to cover it as much as best they can and then in the editing room, the DP, they're sitting there going, I like that shot. We're going to use that one. I like that shot. We're going to use that one. And there's a, there's a lot of times where you do this and your shot doesn't even get used or they just use a couple of frames, of it, which is super frustrating for me <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you sit there and you're risking your equipment and you're like making all this effort and it could have been the hardest thing to fly. And then if, you know, the DP director might like it, but if the end, you know, at the end of the day, if the client doesn't like it because it's too high energy or it's too this or that, then it doesn't make the cut. And then, you know, my, my ego goes like, oh, I can't even show off what I did <laughs> because, <laughs> because you don't own the right to any of the footage, which is yeah. probably the other biggest frustration I have about it is like, you do cool things, but you can't, you know, most of the time you really can't share it with people. No. I mean, once it's like released and it's all out there and everything, like Cory Man Zero asked, uh, like, do you have a list of productions that you keep updated of, like, what you have worked on that you can share with people? Yeah, I mean, like, I I don't know the specifics, but like the Post and here's the thing, like they they all go out in like different spots. So there's you know, network television is different from a social media piece, which is different from like movies, but. Um, you know, the Hummer EV commercial, the Hummer EV stuff I've done, the new Audi e-tron GT, like basically I'll, I'll, it's a good long list of like car commercials and stuff. Like the new Acura NSX and TSX was a very recent one. Um, a bunch of music videos with like, and I'm, I'm a little ashamed to admit, but like some of these people I've never heard of. Uh, but that's not because they're... It's because you're getting old and they're young. <laughs> you know, it's not because they're nobody, uh, but it's just because I'm not hip to new music these days. But some of the bigger ones that I, I am familiar with and I am a big fan of is like the Migos, Travis Scott, The Weeknd, um, Vince Staples. Um, but the most recent one that I'm really stoked about is this movie that I'm working on called day shift. And it's going to be a Netflix original. And uh, I think that's going to come out. I want to say probably September, October. And by if, if they used all of the shots, this is going to be the gnarliest ever (laughs) Uh, because they were absolutely open to my ideas um again who knows what happens in the editing room but some of the shots that we constructed is 
I mean, you you and I will probably be like, oh, that's cool because we watch FPV stuff. But to the rest of the cinema world, this is going to be never, ever seen before. All, all in time for lockdown in September, October. Have you had uh, any bad smash-ups on set? Or have you, have you been pretty lucky? I've been mostly pretty lucky. I, I would say that um, I have not had... Now... I've had one where it was it was my fault. It was my fault. But the most of the all of the other times that I've had a pretty good smash is because somebody powered on something that took my video out and there's really not a whole lot you could do there. Although there was one time where I was able to save it by literally just throwing off my goggles, caught it line of sight and managed to wrangle it back. But all the other times it that just wasn't happening. Um there was just one time, just one time where it was it was my fault. It was your typical really thin cable that I just did not see until the very yeah. last minute. And it was absolutely my fault because normally what you do when you go on set to do these things is you scout it out. Like you, you ask them like, hey, where, where are we flying? And then you physically walk it and be like, okay, cool. There's a cable there. There's a ghost branch here. RF situation is not good here. And it was my fault because I went past what I had scouted because I got greedy because it was such uh. a good run. It was such a good run. And, and the dirt bikes and, and trophy truck, dirt bikes and trophy trucks in and out of downtown LA and then jumping in like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you want to keep going. And I, and I kept going, you know, against what I told myself I wouldn't do. And I ended up in a situation where there was this low hanging, very thin line that I couldn't see until it was too late. And, that was my one and only very expensive lesson learned time about oh. sticking to it. You know, it's funny too, because like, um, I don't know if any of you have taken like a, what would be the equivalent of a part 107 test over out there to commercially fly. But like one of, one of the things that's in there is called like impulsivity and machismo. <laughs> and uh, it's, 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 it's called recognizing dangerous behaviors and that you need to be able to call this out, whether it's yourself or somebody in your crew. And I was absolutely guilty of two of those things because, you know, I was like, Oh, we're do I got this. We can make this happen. No. Big dick mode. I have another question for you, Tommy. Uh, what's, what's the smallest quad that you've used professionally? That would be what uh, you do with it. the Hummer okay. 5 so the my little, you know, the taking the the little beta ninety five frame, flipping it upside down, decasing your GoPro, stuffing inside. That was the smallest drone that I used. The cool thing, small. the cool thing about it was, uh, it was it's it was for a music video for ASAP Ferg, which still has not come out, and I'm I'm not sure why, but it was cool because we were in a New York City apartment flat, and the the shot starts out in a kitchen and I'm supposed to fly past by him as he gets off his phone and he chucks the phone out the window. <laughs> and I, I chased the entire thing down and there's this little pipe that I have to dodge, which I ended up turning into a gate. So I ended up doing a little bit of a barrel roll down and then kind of S flipping out to his homie who's downstairs, who's supposed to catch it. And then run through an alleyway and then make a left and then right onto the street and then it cuts there. And <laughs> it was super fun. The guy trying to catch it could not catch it. We must have done five takes. <laughs> so finally they, they just figured like, all right, forget it. We're just gonna CGI it in. They they gave this like little fake phone with a certain color so that you could, you know. But it's funny because we tried it like five times and I nailed it like five times. And like New York City alleys are literally like this thin, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a few so, Describe it. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's basically all, you know, well, you guys don't know feet. Uh, yeah, let's just, like a few feet. Feet. Let's oh, just call it like a meter. It's like a meter wide, you know? So I had to fly my tiny little drone in a tiny little apartment flat out through a kitchen window and then down a super skinny alley, four stories down. That's about maybe a meter, two meters wide. And then uh, it's not out. It's not out. Yet. Well, I, video. 
I've been um, I've been patiently waiting to see when that one was going to come out, and I don't, I don't know why it's not out yet. But that would have been analog as well, wouldn't it? That was DJI. That was actually oh, DJI. you got it. You got it. Yeah. Got it in DJI in that. Yeah, yeah, and I, it probably helped me out too because it's it was you know in between apartment buildings, and so there's all kinds of things going on and. Mm. I'm almost sure that like the rebar from all the buildings and you know, in New York, New York city, they, they have all of the uh, emergency fire escapes, you know, that's all me out of metal. And mm. yeah, I, I, that would have been another example where analog probably wouldn't have done well. But presumably when it is out, you'll share it in your like Instagram stories and things. So oh, everyone should follow you there, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Cause that, that was definitely one of the, you know, ones that I'm really, really proud of doing because it was uh, it was a difficult shot. Plus, choreographing it with the hand toss to the guy trying to catch it, <laughs> and he done it five times in a row. That must yeah. be so hard because you have to kind of like guess when it's going out the window. Oh, well, and not chance he catch it. Well, and then on top of that, so they really wanted me to stay lower to the ground. And as you guys know, when you're close enough to the ground, you've got the ground effect. So that's kind of like pushing you to the side. And then, you know, in that apartment was, it really wasn't a big room. So even if you weren't that close to the ground, just everything like wafting off to the side, it was just a constant like, oh, come on, yell action already because I I don't want to keep staying. It was a a lot of work. It was very cool. I hope it does it comes out soon but um and that was one of those ones that's really interesting because like with covid and the pandemic that that was an example where there was a very limited crew on staff or crew there but the client you know and the director and dp was out in london and so it was you know they were watching it in zoom and so like after the shot i'd have to walk over to the laptop and be like feedback what do you guys want to change <laughs> yeah COVID has really made things kind of weird but kind of interesting and remote working has been kind of crazy but that was uh one of the first times where i saw that you know because normally again normally everybody's there with you watching it but in this case yeah. in a lot of cases you know you're you're talking to people in a whole different continent tommy so good to have you back man oh we man always you. my pleasure I'm glad that it worked out. I was I, I was really afraid because things were getting pushed back. I th- I thought I was going to have to cancel on you guys. Well, we're very glad that you didn't. It worked out. It worked out. We wrapped up that, at least my portion of that movie yesterday, and uh, that's one for sure. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be blasting that out because, uh, you know, when you're really like really proud about something <laughs> yeah man i'm liking yeah. the long hair as well man you growing it and stuff i it used to be longer it actually used to go down yeah. here oh, and man. Then, uh, long, long oh. time man yeah, days, frank's too. grown a beard yeah <laughs> yeah he's more beard than frank now so yeah. we can't get any sensible questions out of him well it's funny you say that because i'm actually i'm actually gonna cut it off on tuesday well maybe yeah. i don't know I, I figured that it's time for a change, so I'm just gonna go to a, a stylist and be like, "You could do whatever you want and experiment with." Shit. <laughs> <laughs> right you this, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm headed towards. Because now, now that I know what the long hair thing is like, which it was cool for a while, but like the summer coming up and me always doing like this and and stuff, it's kind of like okay, maybe maybe it's time to start going shorter and shorter and shorter. Because I've had short hair my entire life, like, like this this long at the longest before the pandemic happened. I was like, ah, screw it, let's just screw it out and see what happens. I'd love for Tony to grow his hair a bit. It Mine be... grows up. Yeah, I know. I've, I noticed because of the the story with the the hoodie. I like. I was like, okay, I, I sort of like took it on board. And one day I tried to pull his hoodie off. And because his hair grows up. Yeah, it was like Velcro. It was like peeling the, the thing. I was like, man, you, you weren't joking. It grows out. Like, you know, I can, what what they call the chia pets. That's how yeah. I kind of like view Tony's hair now. <laughs> like, I'd love you to just grow it a bit. Just to, just to. My hair grows yeah. the same way. I, I used to shave my head too when I was younger, so I know exactly. Like e- even sleeping on a pillow, like yeah. it just kind of fits you. So <laughs> I, I walk into the 
have a pee in the morning and there's a pillow stuck to my face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know exactly what that's like. <laughs> right, I think we're done for this episode. Guys, you've been listening to Let's Drone Out. We've been joined by the man, the legend, oh my God, uh, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Buy, buy his two fiddy frame and support him and buy armor grip and never lose <laughs> your battery ever again. I'll always remember the photo of the cells ejecting and and we just left this the heat shrink from the battery. Did you did you see when I did that test on a lifter with like a big 6S 5100 milliamp pack? No, nah, man. I, I I did the same thing. It was just I was I I I surprised myself. I, I didn't expect it to stay, but it did. But uh, yeah, man, check it out. It it, uh, it works great. Anyway, you've been joined by everyone's favorite curry kitten. Goodbye. Uh, my lovely, wonderful wife, Tony. I still don't know why I'm answering to that. Bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Lord and Master, Andrew Snow Frank. Bye. And I've been Brighton Sci-Fi. Thank you very much. Have a good night. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Telemetry lost.